Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 83, the Jonathan Lloyd Walker interview. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here again. We hope you had a wonderful holiday and getting ready for the new year. And we have a little present for you ourselves here at the end of 2019. And it's for you Van Helsing fans out there. And I think, Dave, you probably are one of the most hardcore fans of this show over the seasons that there have been. You, you've really been um, supporting this show quite a bit. And I, I think Jonathan was very appreciative of that when he agreed to do this interview, correct? Yeah, and the thing that continually amazes me is, as you know, this is not the kind of show that I generally gravitate towards. And to be fair, I was assigned it back at the beginning of season one and thought, Simon Barry, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I loved it right from the start. And it's still not something I ordinarily go to, although I did love Blood Drive, but uh, (laughs) Van Helsing is not Blood Drive. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And and Jonathan Lloyd Walker has, of course, some history with us as well. It's interesting that we recently revisited with the first interviewee on Sci-Fi Fidelity, Dominique Tipper of The Expanse. Well, Jonathan Lloyd Walker is our first interviewee ever (laughs) in our years of podcasting. So I think that was a nice thing to revisit as well. And of course, we did talk to Kelly Overton and Simon Barry on this podcast in season one as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's great. They getting a fifth season. They have plenty of time to bring their story to hopefully a satisfying closure. I have complete confidence that they will do that. Yeah. And it's interesting that Dave talked to Jonathan before the official announcement of the season five renewal. And so I think a lot of your questions were originally geared towards asking him, how did you write this crazy finale for season four, not knowing if you were going to get a season five or not? And of course, I guess it came out that he did know, (laughs) right? He he did. And that was one of the first things he told me before we started the actual interview. Okay. So in in case you're wondering uh, some references that Dave makes in this interview, to season five. Um, that was before the announcement came out. So we're happy to hear that they're going to be able to go out on their own terms. Now, like I said, when we started podcasting over seven years ago, we never imagined at the time, I think we even joked about it a lot that we'd actually be talking to people involved with our favorite shows. But Jonathan Lloyd Walker opened that door. He was our very first interview subject when we were covering continuum on sci-fi for a weekly episodic podcast for that show. And he started his writing career on the wonderful anthology series, The Outer Limits, and was an actor before that. And he was a writer on Continuum while simultaneously acting in front of the camera as well. He played Special Forces Commander Bradley, a great character that we enjoyed seeing him uh, every now and again in that show. And he's gone on to write for Netflix's Woo Assassins and, of course, Van Helsing, 
both of which he also produced and is currently show running season four. And he will also fill that same role in season five. So here's our interview with Jonathan Lloyd Walker about Van Helsing season four. All right. I'm here with Jonathan Lloyd Walker, who is currently the showrunner for Sci-Fi's Van Helsing, which appears on Friday night. And and Jonathan, Mike and I have known you since our continuum days. And the fact that you were our first interview opened up the so many doors for us with cast members, writers, uh, directors. Uh, again, we really appreciate that. And welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you once again for, for having me. You guys have always been amazing support for us. I can remember all through Continuum uh, how much uh, love and support you guys gave us and, and how that drew a lot of people into the show that maybe hadn't heard about it or knew, or knew about it before. And just over the years, and as I've migrated on to other projects, I've always appreciated that, uh, that you guys have, have been fans and supporters. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Now, it's funny because Mike and I have known each other for a really long time and horror is not really in my wheelhouse. So on the one hand, when I was asked to cover Van Helsing back for season one, I was a little reluctant. But of course, Simon Barry was associated. So I thought, all right, fine. Well, needless to say, I've loved the show, and, and it's funny, it always happens. My mom calls me five minutes before I'm supposed to do an interview or record a podcast. I told her I got to go. She said, why don't you ever write about shows that I like? I'm like, <laughs> Mom, I don't know what to tell you. But, uh, so what's, what's the experience been like as a showrunner for your first season, which is season four of Van Helsing? Well, it's been a great experience. I'm, you know, I've obviously, obviously for a number of years on various shows, been kind of the, you know, the XO, the the, the second in command, second seat, uh, as it's often called in the in the business. And it's been a great training ground for me to be able to get an opportunity to watch really talented showrunners execute the vision of a show and shape it in their own way. And so I was very eager to get that opportunity to do the same thing. And, and uh, very fortunate for me, Neil Labute, who was the showrunner for the first few seasons of this, I sat second seat for him. And he basically said to me after season two, he said, you know, this, if this goes for a while, and I think it will, I'm very much thinking that I'm just going to hand it off to you and move on and do some different things. And uh, would you be interested in that? It was a dream come true. It was exactly what I wanted. So it's it's been great. It's It's always that thing of, you know, somebody gave me a good piece of advice. They said, there are the things that you know, there are the things that you don't know, and there are the things that you know that you don't know. And the, the, all three of those things have been true as I've taken on this job. But it's been a it's been a really interesting experience. All right now, with Continuum, of course, you were one of the main writers, and you appeared in front of the camera on a few occasions. I haven't noticed you in front of the camera, although that certainly <laughs> could be due to makeup. But am I correct in that you haven't? I have not. Acted at all. I have not. Okay. I made a I made a choice very early on because even in first season when Simon was still a, attached to the show and and Neil was running it, there was a there was a point in time where they were talking to me about maybe being in the show as an actor as well. And I, and I really did sort of say, hey, you know what? I think I'm at a point now where I just have to keep those as separate hats. I'll act over here in someone else's show and maybe just you know stick to the writing and the producing of the shows that I'm doing uh, that for. And, and it's actually, I think, worked out to be a good decision. It's much cleaner that way. The best analogy, I've, and I've used it before, 
Uh, I think it's confusing sometimes for the crew if uh, a senior writer or, or particularly the showrunner is suddenly in front of the camera. It's sort of like if you went to a football game and all of a sudden the head coach, you know, rather than calling in a play to the quarterback, goes, you know what, I, I think I'm going to quarterback this one and runs in on the, off the sidelines and people would be like, wait a second, what's going on? And I, I, I felt that way sometimes when I was acting in Continuum and I just thought, man, maybe I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> That's understandable. Now, Van Helsing has just completed its fourth season. You've got 52 episodes produced, far exceeded expectations. Since I, I read an article the other day, over half of new shows never even see a second season. And just before we started recording, you, you know, you let me know that Van Helsing is going to get a season five. Did you know in enough time to approach the season finale with that knowledge? Well, fortunately for me, I've known it's been a sort of a, you know, a, a hard to keep secret for me for quite some time because when we were pretty much about halfway through season four, I got a pretty strong indication that we were going to get a season five, and but that also season five would be the last season for the show, that we'd bring it very, uh, very great to have the opportunity and the support from a network to be able to bring a show full circle and bring it to an end. And uh, we, ha- we got that, fortunately, with Continuum, and then I'm now going to get it as well with Van Helsing. So uh, that enabled me to start to think ahead and start to think about, well, okay, what can I bake in to season four that will help tie into what I think I'm going to do in season five and how I want to bring the show to a conclusion. And, uh, and so, yes, there's been some thread already laid in season four that will, once we get to season five, make sense as, as tee up for the big finale. Yeah. Because as a reviewer of individual episodes, sometimes you look at a season finale and I think to myself, well, this is a show that knows it's coming back. And of course, you mentioned Continuum, and and we had that interminable wait to find out if there was going to be a fourth season, and you got that six-episode final season. So yeah, that's really great that you had enough time to plan. So that kind of leads me into the Van Helsing story, which I want to take a little bit of time and go back to the beginning because it's really been about Vanessa's journey of self-discovery after she wakes up from that three-year coma. And then, of course, the unwanted burden of being mankind's savior against the vampire virus. But then we get Scarlet, her sister, in season two and three, and now Violet and Jack in season four, and we're seeing a little less of Vanessa Is this maybe her time to withdraw, let the younger generation take up the mantle against the vampires, or is she just biding her time in the dark realm? Well, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, you know, whenever you're making a show, you're you're a slave to two different sort of masters in the sense that you're you're trying to achieve a great creative flow through and and, and trying to shape a uh, a narrative that's going to go interesting places. But then you're also beholden to the logistics of of the thing too. So there was certainly on our part, when I took over the show for season four, I very much wanted to inject some different 
flavor to it. So one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to bring in some younger voices. What would it be like if some of our vampire hunters were younger and had a different perspective? That was part of it. I just sort of thought that was an interesting place to explore. The other part of it was the show is Van Helsing, but it's not Vanessa Van Helsing. So I, I always thought when we introduced Scarlet, it was a, it was a great opportunity to broaden out a little bit and, and have different Van Helsings. And then obviously we got into Abraham and you know we saw Lily and there was a number of other uh, aspects to it. And I thought, well, this is a chance to have more than one Van Helsing, and that just gives us more ways to play with the story. The other flip part of that is the logistics, which are we have a wonderful actress playing Vanessa Van Helsing, Kelly Overton, but Kelly's a young woman who has a family and is growing her family. And we were running into lots of situations over the seasons where either, you know, very close to going to camera, we would find out, you know, she was quite pregnant with a child or, or a second child or in this case, her third child. And so we realized we just weren't going to be able to get her for all of the episodes of the season that we might want her for. And as a result, we, we had to adapt the story to function without her being in every episode. And the best way to do that was to introduce some new Van Helsings and have them share the mantle with her so the show wasn't dependent upon Vanessa being in it all the time. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that viewers sometimes don't consider that there's a lot more to go into putting out a show. And I think so many times people go back to the lost phenomenon and ah, they just made it up as they go along. Well, sometimes you have to, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's an ever evolving organism. I mean, I think sometimes fans assume that we've mapped out an infinite number of seasons already and we've got a book that's sitting on a desk somewhere that's going to tell us what we're going to do as each season gets ordered. But that obviously isn't the case. What we, when you were mentioning before about you know, a show that leaves on lots of hooks, seems to be confident that it's coming back, is not actually really necessarily entirely true. I think we set all those hooks out in the hopes that that tantalizes both the audience and the network to go, well, we can't leave it there. We've got to come back. Because if you give a tidy solution at the end of a season, that's even more reason for a network to go, that kind of felt like maybe it could be the end. Ah, maybe, maybe we don't come back. I like it. So I think for, for the sake of longevity, unless you creatively really feel like, oh boy, the network wants to keep making this show, and I'm, I think maybe it's just kind of done, and, and I want to get the permission to end it, you always want to leave a door open to be able to continue the story as long as you feel it's viable. But, you know, this is a set, certainly a set of circumstances where I think we all collectively felt like, yeah, you know, we're very lucky to have gotten five seasons. I feel like we've gone through a whole range of interesting story parameters. And it feels like now with the opportunity to write it to an ending, it's the perfect thing to do. Oh, cool. Now, you know, one of the things I love about the Van Helsing premise is that you guys have taken traditional vampire mythology and sprinkled in, I mean, what I see as zombie characteristics while at the same time weaving in a possible government military conspiracy. And for the most part, Dimitri and Rebecca accepted, you've avoided the traditional vampire sexuality, introduced different levels, the feeders, ferals, daywalkers. How did the decision to go gritty rather than pretty evolve? <laughs> Well, it was sort of baked into the DNA from the very beginning of the show uh, in the sense that, you know, we were looking to try and spin a vampire story that had a little bit of a different background to it and a little bit of a different underpinning. And certainly with Neil being 
the showrunner in first season, Neil's a fairly gritty guy. He tends to want to dig at the human condition. He tends to want to deal in things that are somewhat more grounded in reality. And so I think, you know, he, he very much was interested in the idea of darkness and the, the battle between the darkness in all of us uh, versus the light that we may or may not choose to embrace. And so thematically, we're much more a show about struggling with darkness than we are necessarily a show that's all about embracing the light. So, you know, you've got those vampire shows out there that are all sort of pretty people, you know, full of ennui. And we just, you know, we really wanted to have a show that was a blend of action, deep, dark study of the human condition, and and bringing a little science to it. And obviously in later seasons, we've also gone where I think every vampire show eventually has to go, which is into mythology and into a little bit of magic and a little bit of, you know, fantasy. And, and those elements have weaved their way in. But I think inherently we're still a dark show. Yeah, and I think I speak for Mike when I say feel free to weave in some time travel. We'll, we'll be okay with that. <laughs> well, you might just get your wish. <laughs> All right. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You know, one of the things I noticed this season, and it's entirely possible you were doing this previously and I just missed it, but one of my favorite editing choices occurs after the opening three or four minute teaser, and that ends and the Van Helsing title slide comes up, but you hold the slide for, I don't know, five to 10 seconds, and we still hear the audio of what's usually a fairly gruesome scene. So, was that new this season, or did I just imagine that? Well, it, it started in season one, and it was sort of just this interesting thing of realizing, oh, well, if we're going to slam a title card up, it doesn't mean that nothing's happening underneath it. And, and often we were ending teases with something gruesome or something gory or something scary. We just thought, well, why not just let that run? Let's let, let that live a little bit underneath the title card. And so it just became this thing that now it's kind of baked in that we always try and find some type of sound bed to put under that title card that, that you know, that sort of either worries you or frightens you or at least keeps you intrigued until we come back to the next scene okay all right well speaking about frightened um let me ask a few questions about the season finale because uh, again one of the things i love is that there's so many scenes and situations that you think you know what you just saw but you're really not sure so we see jack trapped in a coffin and we, of course, know that the Dark One shapeshifted into her form earlier. But we also see Jack ejected from the Dark Realm with Violet. So what am I missing? What don't I understand? I mean, who got spit out with Violet? Or is this 
something you don't want to talk about because it's going to end up in the uh, premiere. No, I, I think um, basically the way it worked is is both the girls, uh, Violet and Jack, are able to use those three pages that their father had protected to open a portal to get into the dark realm in the first place in the hopes that they would get answers, maybe be able to rescue Vanessa, but also to confront and hopefully kill the Dark One. So in that whole encounter, it's really clear that the Dark One is playing a little bit of mind games with them and is trying to manipulate them and ultimately is able to seduce a little bit Jack into kind of being her pawn and takes them both out by the end. And the last thing we see of her in the Dark Realm is with the two girls unconscious on the floor, is she goes over and she takes the page out of Violet's backpack or out of her vest uh, that will enable her to open the portal and return to the real world. Well, she doesn't know what's waiting for her on the other end of that, so she decides to open the portal. This is the scene that's not in the episode but is implied by what happens later. She opens that portal but realizes, I better take a form that's going to be more comfortable for these guys, so she takes the form of Jack. And just as she's about to go through that portal, Violet wakes up and decides she's got to try and stop her and leaps through with her. So when that portal opens in the other end, in the real world, and all the rest of our heroes are waiting for it, out pop what looks like Jack and Violet. But it's really the dark one shape-shifted into the form of Jack. And so they basically both seem like they're worse for wear and both on the verge of going in and out of consciousness and a coma. And so our heroes on the other end assume that this is both of those sisters, only to be later confronted by the reality that the Dark One shapeshifted to become Jack and pretend to be Jack and had left the real Jack locked in a box in the Dark Realm. So that's sort of how that unfolded. Okay. I guess I got part of it. <laughs> so I'm glad you explained it to me. You know, we know better than to assume Julius is dead outside the bunker since his head is still attached to his body, but... Now that Axel's also failing to heal from his latest confrontation with a daywalker, have the rules changed? And is this a new, improved daywalker? Because I noticed some aerial skills that I don't remember seeing. I mean, you know, sometimes as a, as a reviewer, you're taking notes and, and I guess it's possible you miss things, but I don't recall seeing them leap into the air like that before. Yeah, well, the whole story basically revolves around this idea that black tech have always been trying to develop some type of mutation or cure adjunct kind of power from the actual vampire gene. And so one of the things that's been happening is obviously you may remember uh, back in season three was this whole idea they thought these blue tipped bullets with solacite on would be the answer to trying to sort of take down vampires. But it didn't stop them for very long. It didn't slow them down very much. It was a bit of a failed experiment. But now what we're suggesting is that this lab, this sunshine unit that Julius and Axel go off to looking for Doc, had been somehow doing research with a more evolved version of that blue powder. Now it's sort of some sort of orange compound. And that what they did to test it is outside of their bunker, there was a whole bunch of vampires that they basically just crop dusted with this stuff. And it killed about 95% of them dead. So it works, except the 5% it doesn't kill, it turns into basically super mutated vampires. So these guys are vastly stronger. They are vastly harder to kill. And as a result, they can do things that other vampires can't do. So we were really trying to riff on the whole idea of, you know, every time 
the pharmaceutical industry thinks that they've come up with a cure for something, there's sometimes a little side effect that isn't necessarily expected that ends up having some sort of detrimental effect. So it's sort of that whole question of, well, if you only cure 95% of it, but the 5% you don't cure is worse, have you really cured it? And so ultimately, that's what that is. It's, it's this orange powder. And what it has done to both Axel and to Julius, who obviously were vampires who got turned back to human, but because they'd been bitten also by daywalkers and by Vanessa, it, this orange powder wasn't necessarily going to kill them, but it was going to strip them of their special daywalker abilities because normal daywalkers would mostly be killed by this stuff. So we're sort of playing with this idea that that's what's happened. There's a few of these mutated vampires that are extra strong running around and that our two of our heroes have been stripped back to basically being mortal again and not having the advantages of daywalker. Okay. Let me jump back to the sister thing just for a second, because, you know, the dynamic between Missy Peregrim and Kelly was wonderful. They played sisters getting to know each other after thinking each was an only child. And, you know, now we've got the adopted sisters, Violet and Jack, played by Kia King and Nicole Munez, who did grow up together, have a totally different relationship. Can Vanessa move on from Dylan and kind of take these two under her wing? Well, I think it's an interesting question. I think, you know, it certainly will be something that we'll dig into in season five. The idea that what makes a parent and what makes a child, is it is it relationship, is it DNA, is it a combination of both? You know, obviously she's not solely their parent in the sense that they were kind of grown in a lab using DNA. Uh, she didn't birth them. So it's sort of that thing of what makes a relationship. So what they have in common is they both carry Van Helsing genes, and they both are enhanced, and they both are full of these special abilities, and they all did, in some stage, come out of an experiment at Black Tech. So, you know, can that form a bond? Can they find a commonality that will that will give them a family-like relationship? And, and we're going to sort of touch on some of that in Season 5. Cool. Um, you know, to this point, the story has taken place in the Western U.S., starting in Seattle, moving to the Denver area. Are, are we going to learn the fate of the rest of the country? Uh, in all likelihood, we will in season five. Again, when you talked about this whole idea of, of you know, having an idea of in season four that season five might happen, you may recall that we've dropped a few hints along the way that there's what's called the real world or another part of America that maybe was untouched by this. And that was certainly evidenced in the episode where Julius and Violet end up in a fighting pit at a, an old abandoned hotel. It's a television show that's being broadcast somewhere, and it's presumably being broadcast to, to a real world. And meanwhile, also, when Nicholson and the president show up at the end of season four, they've also come from what's supposedly the real world. So, you know, we couldn't bait that hook without paying it off. So season five, we will definitely get an understanding of where that is, what's going on there, and how that uh, came to be, why, why there's a part of the United States that has been unaffected by all of this. Great. All right, well, let's go ahead and finish up with me asking about this really outstanding run of guest stars that have filtered through various story arcs throughout the first four seasons, including continuing alums, Jennifer Spence, Ryan Robbins, Terry Chen, Richard Harmon. Then you got quintessential bad guys, uh, Neil McDonough, Michael Eklund this season, and of course, Trisha Helfer. Is there anybody you tried to get that schedules just didn't permit? 
Well, you know, it's funny because uh, being that I've been in this business for a long time, both as an actor before I was, uh, you know, writer producer and throughout my tenure as a as a writer, I've got a lot of relationships with a lot of really cool people. Also, we shoot the show here in Vancouver. As you know, there's an enormous hotbed of, of genre television that's made here, a lot of science fiction. So I know a lot of these guys. I know a lot of these guys personally. And so it was many times it was a case of just sort of tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying, hey, would you come do a favor and be on the show? And, and they would, and that was fantastic. In terms of people that we wanted to get, you know, the tricky part always is, is, is availability because sometimes, you know, just the timing isn't right, that there's actors that you know, you want to put into the show and you, you just can't line it up. There's a couple of people for sure, you know, but there, there are people that maybe the, the fan base wouldn't, wouldn't know, but there was, you know, like uh, at one point, a, a buddy of mine from Toronto, who's a great actor and uh, I've known him for a long time, Peter Outerbridge. I was trying to get Pete in the show. Uh, also uh, Eric Johnson, who many people may know, I, I actually acted alongside him in a bad television show called Flash Gordon about a dozen years ago. And uh, uh, he's also most notably known for being in the Shades of or the uh, Shades of Grey movie movies or whatever those uh, adapted from the books. I forget what it's called now. But anyway, so he's a great guy and we weren't able to, to get him and the timing didn't work. But it's always that thing of like, you know, it's lovely when you've got a Rolodex full of amazing, talented friends that you can just kind of grab. Because another one we did get is Aaron Douglas, who, of course, used to be on Battlestar Galactica and shows up for the last uh, few episodes of season four. So, yeah, pretty lucky uh, the people we were able to get versus the people that we weren't. Well, well, listen, Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for taking time out to talk to me today. Uh, great news that Van Helsing is going to get a season five. Are, are we looking at another fall uh, premiere? That seems to be the pattern. Uh, it's very much up to the network about when they will uh, drop the show, but definitely the production calendar as it was, it's working right now is right in line with what we've done in previous seasons. We'll be going to camera in the spring. We'll shoot through until the early part of the summer which would very much line us up for a fall uh, premiere for season five. So my hope is that it'll be on the same timeline. Good. And for any of you guys out there that haven't seen Van Helsing, you can go to Netflix and get caught up there, which is what I've been doing, going back and rewatching the early season. So Jonathan Lloyd Walker, thank you so much for your time today and good luck with season five. Thank you so much. Well, Mike, I, I, have a ton of questions that I wish we'd had more time to ask. And in particular, I noticed in one of the episodes, the medical clinic, the characters go to, it says Walker Medical Clinic on the wall. And I'm thinking like, all right, the writer's trying to get in good with the showrunner. But uh, as it was, he was so giving of his time. And, and he, as any listener knows, our interviews are generally 15 to 18 sometimes 20 minutes. So this was a little longer than usual, could have gone much longer, but it was great to talk to him about Van Helsing and even some of the, as we concluded with some of the guest stars that he's been able to bring on to Van Helsing, many of whom we know from Continuum. Exactly. So I'm hoping that there are some audience members out there because I'm not sure how big the Van Helsing audience is in particular. I, I assume there's a few listeners out there that have viewed all four seasons of Van Helsing. But also, just as a treat for those of you who have been following us since those continuum days. And, you know, we've come a long way and we kind of miss, in some ways, our episodic discussions. 
but it's really great to be able to revisit our roots. Because I, I remember when uh, Dave and I first started learning about podcasting, getting inspired to podcast from Jay and Jack, who did the Lost podcast. And I remember when they moved on to different shows, it never was quite the same. <laughs> do you agree with that, Dave? Uh, oh, oh, I do. And And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about Jonathan in this interview is his honesty about certain things that I had a little bit of trepidation broaching. For instance, the lead character, oh yeah, Kelly Overton, who plays Vanessa, was only in about a third of the episodes during this past season. And, you know, I certainly speculated that it was probably uh, production issues, maybe even monetary issues, you know, and he addressed that issue really honestly and and i even mentioned the idea that people say about lost for instance uh, you mentioned jay and jack oh they just made it up as they went along well yeah you kind of have to because (laughs) things don't always go according to plan yeah clearly jonathan had his own spin on the whole van helsing mythology and and what he was going to do steering the writer's room i mean of course he's going to put his stamp on it right Right. And I just think what he's done in terms of handling the various crises as they come along, for instance, he mentions Kelly Overton and uh, having children and a family and it, it kind of gets in the way of things and, you know, coordinating schedules. I just think where he's taking the show, uh, I, I just love it. I love the direction. I mean, in so many shows, people, uh, it's it got terrible after such and such. I don't think that's the case with Van Helsing. I really don't. And so, yeah, it's great. And and of course, I was referring to Jay and Jack because I think in some cases, some of our listeners, you know, harken back to those days and it's never quite the same as our first love, right? And so John- exactly. Jonathan Lloyd Walker, just talking a little bit about uh, Continuum in, in those those last moments uh, was a good way to end the the interview. So I was so grateful that Jonathan was able to join us for our little holiday episode here before we get started with the new year. We've got a lot of things planned uh, coming up. We've got a lot of shows that that we have to choose from. And so I'm very excited that one that we're doing next week is something that we looked at and sort of, is this going to be good? Is this going to be good? We weren't sure. And I can't wait to dive into it. And that's The Witcher on Netflix. Have you been doing some preliminary research before the December 20th release? We're, We're recording this before the the uh, premiere on Netflix on December 20th. Well, I have. And again, this is not a show that I would ordinarily gravitate towards, but you know, the trailers are pretty darn cool. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, checking this out when it drops tomorrow. We're recording on Thursday, the 19th. Exactly. And so those of you who are listening to this podcast on its release date or shortly thereafter, hopefully you've gotten a chance to check out the Witcher and are ready to dive into our discussion with it next week. And of course we will have caught up to you by that point And we'll even probably have a little bit for you in the spoiler zone. So that's going to be next week on the podcast, but that's it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity and this year of sci-fi fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow den of geek on Twitter and Facebook at den of geek us. And we are at sci-fi fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. And be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics via social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mm